Welcome to the American Maritime Podcast. I'm Mike Roberts, your host. I want to thank the American Maritime Partnership for sponsoring this podcast. We have a great conversation on tap for today with four-star Navy Admiral James Stavridis. It's my pleasure, Mike, and anytime an old sailor gets a chance to talk to the maritime industry, it's a good day, almost as good as being at sea. We've been talking internally about you know, what we need to do in connection with a new Biden administration. And one of the unexpected developments, I would say, of the Trump administration was finding very strong champions of American maritime uh, at very senior levels of, of the administration. Um, uh, secretary Chow is one of the best uh, maritime secretaries of transportation ever. Uh, Admiral Busby's been a, a, just a, a, a true uh, champion and a great uh, leader for, for the maritime administration, as you mentioned. Uh, we've had uh, Dr. Navarro in the executive office of the president who fully gets the Jones Act and has been outspoken in favor of it. We had Robert Lighthizer at, uh, at USTR, and certainly in the area of trade, uh, it's an area where traditionally we've seen vulnerability uh, to the idea that maritime might get traded off for something that has more economic value down the road. So we are, uh, we are anxious and hopeful that we can uh, find that level of support at the senior levels within uh, a Biden administration and, and appreciate any thoughts you might have to, to guide us in that regard. Yeah, let's, let's start with a couple of personalities. Um, first of all, I wouldn't be certain at all that we're going to lose Admiral Busby. I mean, if there was ever a bipartisan, down the middle, sensible uh, military officer who has devoted his life to understanding the oceans, it's Buzz Busby, uh, who, as many of you will know, is a graduate of the Merchant Marine Academy. In fact, he uh, hooked me up to come give the graduation address there at Kings Point a few years ago, which was a real honor for me. I think I think Buzz may make the turn into this administration. I've heard that from sources on uh, on the other side. He's a he's a bipartisan figure. Um, secondly, I think you will see a number of potential admirals uh, who might end up in a uh, in a Biden administration. Um, some of the military officers who are advising the Biden campaign, and by the way, I am not one of them, because I am uh, under contract to NBC News, I can't endorse candidates and I cannot advise campaigns. But uh, Admiral Sandy Winnefeld, uh, former vice chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, has been advising the campaign. Admiral uh, Steve Abbott, uh, former uh, deputy commander of U.S. European Command, retired four-star, has been advising the campaign. Um, a number of others, um, two-star Admiral Mike Smith has been very central to the campaign. So my point is, um, just as figures emerged in this uh, Trump administration, I think it's quite likely you'll see uh, similar kinds of personalities evolve and emerge in a Biden administration. And then uh, secondly, uh, Mike, moving aside from uh, particular personalities, I think there's a very powerful storyline for the maritime industry here uh, because of competition with China. Uh, China is going to be uh, the principal competitor for the United States. We talked about the South China Sea, the Chinese uh, way in which they're trying to control vast ocean spaces 
of that South China Sea, of the Chinese growing a merchant fleet, which is much larger than that of the United States, as we all know. Um, I think in a, uh, in a practical, tactical level assessment of competition with China, the maritime industry has a very good story to tell. And I can tell you for a fact that people like uh, Dr. Michelle Flournoy, who is widely tipped to be the next Secretary of Defense, for example, is highly cognizant of the importance of the merchant marine as part of our competition with China. And then uh, third and finally, I'll, I'll close on this, strategically, if we go back to um, the, the theories of Alfred Thayer Mahan from just over 100 years ago, we can see that no great power has ever been able to sustain itself without being a maritime force. And that means not just a navy. It means access to ports. It means a vibrant coast guard. It means, um, most obviously, a merchant marine. All of those are absolutely critical uh, for a great power. So I would say in an era of great power competition, um, the maritime industry has a good tactical and strategic story to tell. And I think we're going to see uh, emerging personalities who will be strongly in favor of the industry. And lastly, I'll say, um, you know, at the end of the day, Jones Act support, subsidies, um, all of these are things that I think the Democrats get just as well as the Republicans, maybe a little better. And so I would be uh, certainly watching everything closely, and that's why we have AMP. But um, I think it's going to be an administration that will work very well with the maritime industry. And by the way, I'm available to be helpful, as you and I have talked about, Mike. That's fantastic. Uh, very, very helpful uh, uh, thoughts on that. Let me just build a little bit on, on, the, on the question of China. Uh, we've, we've been learning uh, a lot recently about the Chinese government investments in the commercial maritime industry. There was a CSIS brief uh, released in June that indicated the Chinese government has been providing billions of dollars, I believe the figure was close to $15 billion a year in support to the Chinese commercial shipping and shipbuilding industry. Um, uh, you know, is this something that should concern us and, and should we have a policy response to that? And maybe what should that policy response look like? Yeah, this is the jumping off point to the comments I made a moment ago. The, the short answer is absolutely. Um, we, the maritime industry, ought to be publicizing that. We ought to be pressing uh, our congressional delegations for responses to it um, because for China, in the execution of One Belt, One Road, the maritime industry is a significant component alongside its rapidly expanding Navy, its rapidly expanding uh, Coast Guard, and its maritime militia. This, by the way, is a, a huge element in the Chinese maritime strategy. There are probably 750,000 members of this maritime militia. Um, and they sort of sign up people in the coastal cities. Many of them work in the maritime industry and they get uh, incentives from the government. All of this needs to be understood, studied, publicized, 
and put into our strategy for dealing with China. What we should be doing, and I believe the Biden administration will do this as a very much a first order effort, is to construct a strategy. We've had a very transactional approach with dealing with Beijing. It's time we step back, looked at China's history, its culture, its capabilities, its literature, what it is articulating about One Belt, One Road, look at their strategy, and then construct our responses. If you do that, you very quickly come to realize that we need a highly capable, robust merchant marine with uh, education, with uh, licensing agreements, with subsidies, with uh, a strong Jones Act, all those things uh, are gonna be mandatory. If we're gonna have a strategic response to China, we ought to be pushing on this. I am doing so, frankly, with a number of people in the Biden team, uh, as are many others. For me, internationally, job one is coronavirus, job two is China. Get a strategy, it will include maritime. Faith in the news media has been challenged, making it even harder to get stories told. The Friday Reporter podcast was created to help audiences better understand the media by hosting journalists who will answer the questions to which we need answers. Join me every Friday to hear more. That's interesting. It, 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 uh, it, it certainly would... Uh, suggest uh, driving our maritime policy, whether it, certainly you talk about the Jones Act, that's been in place for a long time, but there's always been pressure to, to diminish, uh, uh, to, to, to push back against the Jones Act. Uh, and certainly internationally, we're down to, to around 80 ships under the U.S. flag internationally because of the, the basic model there is free trade uh, to, the, to the nth degree. And um, and the only way we have the U.S. flag flying in international um, uh, commercial markets is because of maritime security program and cargo preference. Uh, this would suggest that we, we, we you know, may need a fundamental relook re at that policy. Is that fair to say? It is. And the hook you want to hang on is competition with China. Yeah. And that has a commercial element to it. But I think even more persuasively, it has a strategic competitive hook to it. Um, you need to make the case in both senses that um, strategically no great power has been without a robust civilian merchant fleets. Never happened effectively in history. And tactically, China cannot be permitted to simply uh, over-subsidize its merchant fleet at our expense in a, from a trading perspective. And then uh, finally, you have to make the linkage between national security and the commercial shipping. And if you do that, it becomes a much more sellable argument to go to the Hill uh, and to ensure that we as a, as a nation can have the kind of uh, capability that that you and I are talking about, Mike. Well, certainly this organization, the American Maritime Partnership, has been uh, very conscious of, of the China, China's ambitions in the maritime world and, and paid a lot of attention to it over, over the last year. And I expect we'll continue doing that in, in the year ahead. Um, one, one further question around, uh, around the Biden administration, the transition we're in now. 
Um, it could be a difficult one. Um, uh, is something uh, that we should be concerned about, is that something we should be concerned about from a national security standpoint? Unfortunately, uh, the answer is yes. Um, our opponents, uh, China, Russia, North Korea, Iran, Venezuela, Cuba, among others, um, are watching all this closely. And they are doing high fives in the Kremlin right now about um, this continuing sense of gridlock here in the United States. And, and here I'm talking to you, if you are a rib-rop Republican who watches uh, Fox News, you start the day with the folks on the white couch and can't imagine a night where you haven't heard from Sean Hannity, or you are a card-carrying Democrat, you watch Morning Joe every morning and your night wraps up with Rachel Maddow, I'm talking to both sides. We have got to find a way to bring our nation back together again. Um, yes, we can have significant policy disagreements about, uh, about choice and right to life. We can have disagreements about free trade versus subsidies. We can have disagreements about whether we ought to be in the NATO alliance or whether we ought to have troops in South Korea. That's fine. But what we have got to avoid is this kind of vitriolic uh, tearing apart because our opponents are watching and we ought to be very concerned they will take advantage of us. And during this transition period in particular, we ought to be concerned. Um, as, we, as we know, just in the last 24, 48 hours, we've seen President Trump come out and fire the Secretary of Defense, a man named Mark Esper. Um, I, I carry no brief for Mark Esper, pro or con, but it, it seems to me an unfortunate time to simply fire the second senior government official in the executive branch charged with our national security, just as we're coming out of a very contentious election. Um, our opponents are watching. There are rumors that there are more firings in the cards over the next couple of months. Um, I hope that doesn't happen. Uh, all it accomplishes is to help kind of tear us apart as a society. And what should we worry about? China could make a move on Hong Kong. China could make a move on Taiwan. Russia could make an even bigger move on Ukraine. Um, terrorist organizations see this and see the chaos and the, uh, the concern in the society. We need to pull together. Um, and I think... I am hopeful that once we get through this next, you know, kind of immediate period of raw feelings, we'll find a way to do that. And, and back to where I started this, if you're a strong Trump supporter, hey, go find someone who supported President Biden and congratulate her. And if you're a, if you're a Biden supporter, go find a Trump supporter and say, I'm sorry for how you must feel. And I know what it feels like. We need to start having those kind of conversations in this nation if we are going to get ourselves away from that picture I showed you of gridlock with the two big bucks banging each other's antlers. Not where we want to be in a complicated world. That's great. Great suggestions there. I think we're, we'll, uh, we'll wrap it up here. Um, we really do appreciate your time and your thoughts and insights and, and uh, 
certainly especially around the maritime industry. I think it's uh, e extremely enlightening to, to hear your perspective on this coming from uh, a, a career uh, on the military side of this um, uh, and then of course uh, you know the recognizing the connection between uh, national security and our commercial capabilities. So uh, thank you so much for being with us today uh, Admiral. I appreciate it and, and if I could just two final thoughts. Uh, one is the other day I got out all my log books and I added up all the days I spent at sea on the deep ocean out of sight of land about nine and a half years. Uh, there are merchant mariners who have done much more than that. And so I salute uh, my fellow mariners and particularly those in the, the deep water side of this, but equally those running coastal ships, Crowley Marine, who tugged me all over the world in my destroyer and all the other great companies involved in AMP. Second thought, this is the, the most important one back to how can we start to come together as a nation. I think the idea of service is very important. And here I wanna close by saying many people say to me after 37 years in the Navy, Admiral, thank you for your service. And I appreciate that, it means the world to me. But here's my point. There are so many ways to serve this country, certainly our military, but how about our diplomats? How about our CIA officers? How about police officers? How about firemen? How about our mariners at sea? How about teachers? You know, a teacher in rural Florida starting salary $34,000 a year teaching a packed classroom. You think he's serving the country? I do. So here's my point. Let's broaden the idea of service. When we see people serving the nation in some important way, giving of themselves. We should thank all of them. So I appreciate it when people say thank you for your service, but let me close to the maritime industry. And I mean this, thank you for your service to the nation. You are part of our national security. Don't ever forget it. Thank you. Admiral Stavridis, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been great talking with you and we appreciate your insights on the rising threats of America's maritime adversaries and what American maritime needs to do to counter these threats. We will leave it right there for this episode of the American Maritime Podcast. We thank you for tuning in and encourage you to share it with others who share a love and an interest in American Maritime. You can find the American Maritime Partnership on Twitter at Amp Maritime. This is Mike Roberts signing off. Mm -hmm.